0: everyone. My name is Gabe Orthos. I am going to be your co-host for uh, this particular session of Disruptors at Work, an integrated care podcast. Uh, Super excited to be here uh, co-hosting uh, this really important conversation that we're going to have. Uh, I have two great friends with us today, uh, Kara English, the CEO of the Cummings Graduate Institute, as well as Sepi. And Seppi is one of those uh, people that you definitely want to meet uh, in person. Uh, she exudes uh, awesomeness. And Seppi, uh, I will let you introduce yourself uh, a little bit later, but I wanted to uh, really give you... Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is primarily around leadership and healthcare IT leadership, and, and more importantly, and, and you'll see why Cepi kind of brings a different perspective uh, to this entire idea. So um, welcome, welcome, Seppi, uh, Welcome, Kara. Kara, to you, give us an introduction of Coming Tragedy Institute.
1: Sure. Thanks, Gabe. Great great to have uh, you co-hosting the podcast today, and it's wonderful to be meeting Seppi for the first time. Um, you've said so many things about her, and I've been excited to meet her. So welcome, Cepi. Um, So today, one of the things I want to really emphasize is that Cummings Graduate Institute was formed specifically to focus on integrated care. And so what that looks like in practice is removing the silos between healthcare delivery for patients. And that obviously takes a whole lot of clinical innovation innovation at the operational levels, including IT and the infrastructure of electronic health records and communication uh, methods for physicians and for community uh, case management workers. And also at the financial level, we need payment reforms to make sure that we can continue to move integration along. So at Cummings Graduate Institute, we really focus on all of those areas and our students come to us with a, a real passion to Be an innovative part of the future of healthcare. Um, They recognize that healthcare is not going to change without their investment and their involvement. And they recognize that they can be part of whether it's a, you know, small background part or a front runner in the leading the change in, excuse me, in leading the change. They realize that there's a part for everyone who is invested and passionate about this, this movement and it really truly is a movement for change. Uh, And so um, we at CGI are really cultivating a climate of innovation uh, for our students. We want healthcare leaders to come to us to be involved in mentoring and nominating those in their community that they wanna see, getting the education, training and leadership opportunities, mentoring and skills. To really amplify their talent, amplify their passion, and to make healthcare no longer a business-oriented care delivery system, but a patient, you know, patient-centered business environment. Um, it definitely benefits providers when we put the focus back on patients, and it, it turns out that it also benefits payers. So for all of us who are invested in, you know, and all of us should be invested because hashtag we are all patients, uh, we need to all come together and, and really think about this. So that's really what we're, cu- we're cultivating at CGI is that community of uh, leading voices and, and thinking critically about how to innovate and move change forward at the clinical and management and leadership levels and across operations and, fi- and finance
0: that is outstanding. And that's what we're here. And that's our infinite plan. Uh, this is what the legacy that we're going to leave to our kids and our grandkids is, is solving this idea of healthcare, care, um, of, of taking it from a broken system to a, a self reliancy with consumerization, and all those types of things. So thank you. It, it, it is such an important work that we're doing. Uh, and I know that sometimes it feels like we're on the bleeding edge of things. Uh, but I wanted Without further ado, I did want to introduce Seppi Browning. Uh, She's a good friend of mine out of Atlanta, uh, a a veteran. Uh, She's been in healthcare executive leadership for almost her entire career, Uh, obviously in the healthcare IT space, uh, around implementation of programs, uh, both clinical, financial, uh, et cetera. We are both uh, part of the HIMSS Georgia chapter here in Atlanta, very active in that community. So we do truly a- appreciate a community-based um, endeavors such as these. So Seppi, without further ado, tell us about yourself. Give us an introduction.
2: Hello, Gabe and Karen. Thank you so much for having me and for such kind words. Um, you can't see me, but I'm blushing. if you know me well you know I'm not blushing. but either way (laughs) I just want to say thank you and Gabe you're so right it takes all of us um, doing what we do to make a difference one comment on Kara's um, point that she was just sharing is one thing we cannot lose sight of is to make these changes they're very small tasks and pieces at a time Mm -hmm. we cannot lose We can't lose our hope because it's not big things all at once all the time. Mm -hmm. It's little stuff because we're impacting every human being around us. It takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes collaboration. And as we all know, talking to each other and discussing things takes time. Mm -hmm. So it's slow, but it's a passion that obviously us three have and probably anyone listening to this. Absolutely. The passion that mm-hmm. there is out there. And for us to collaborate with our students, the future of our industry is huge. You know, we want to be able to pass that baton on successfully mm-hmm. so they know why we are where we are so they can take it to that next step. Mm-hmm. So that improvement and that, and that little steps that hopefully ultimately makes and breaks all of those um, silos will eventually happen. Mm-hmm. But um, back to me, and it, again, thank you for having me. And um, I always like to share my life in three parts. Mm-hmm. One, um, uh, like uh, Gabe said, I'm a vet. I started right out of high school in the Army. I was an EMT, I was a field medic, um, went through ROTC and got my commission, and I was in the medical service corps and all of that for about nine and a half years. Came out, uh, went into a hospital, working in the ancillary side, so radiology, pharmacy, a lab, radiology is my baby. And um, what, did, what did those ancillaries have even before meaningful use and before, you know, CPOE and all that? They had their own customized software. So they were already using computers for order entry and results and a lot of stuff way before um, the startup meaningful use. So luckily, I started um, integrating and learning more about systems. And then leading to where I am now in IT, was just that, learning how to um, how to use the systems and configure systems to enhance workflow, which is why we're all in IT, right, um, is to bridge that IT and that workflow uh, is how I landed into IT per se now. So that kind of describes where I've been and how I ended up here, Gabe.
0: That's really great. That's outstanding. Thank you for giving us um, a little bit, a little bit of the the history and the inference of of where you've been. And I I love this idea of workflow. I wanna I wanna come back to that idea though, and I wanna I want you to tell us what a good leader looks like in in your profession, and um, give us a sense for that leadership path. Uh, obviously, you as a leader in an organization, but also the people that got you there and helped you get there. Uh, Give us a sense for for what that path looks like.
2: Yeah, yes, absolutely. So no matter what role you have, you have a boss, and there's someone above you, and you have people that are on your team, or you have peers, right, up, down, and um, vertical. They're always there no matter who you are, and I think it starts with um, the three Cs, collaboration, coordination and um, consideration you always have to be honest be yourself and be genuine to everyone around you so that's one it doesn't matter what your role is or what you do and with your role comes the fact that you need to communicate you want to be transparent and communicate to your peers uh, to your team and uh, communicate and educate your own leaders. Um, we're all here, and that's the thing I think sometimes is lost. We're all here to help each other be successful, not just ourselves, but each other. Because yeah. no one in any role can do it all on their own and make anything truly successful. And, and it doesn't matter if you're in healthcare or if you're in the in a different industry. So I think part of what is very valuable and and what we, I believe everyone on this um, uh, podcast with me right now knows, we are here to share information and educate each other about what we know. And part of what, uh, no matter where I've worked in the last couple of years, um, technology is always the foundation lately. Even if you work for Macy's or if you work for, you know um anywhere foundation is some uh, excuse me technology is somehow the foundation and um a part of what they do
0: yeah that that's a really good point because you come from a very kind of process oriented pmp background around optimizing workflows and really understanding the 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 equation of people process technology but because of COVID, because of post-pandemic and at-home work and, and hybrid-level work and the massive resignation that's going on right now, um, what do you think is that, how, how do we have to think differently from a, from a, a leadership perspective in our healthcare organization? Because um, everything has been kind of turned its head when it comes to that people process technology. What have you experienced in your, in your kind of work life?
2: Yeah, a lot of things have changed, uh, to say the least. One is, you know, that old school approach of uh, managing your people, per se, um, where they're right in front of you, obviously, right? That changed. Um, A lot of our people went home due to COVID, and we all had to figure out how to keep that morale, keep that... um, team work and that team uh, perspective and closeness going during COVID. And um, it it was an adjustment, right? And um, some people did not believe in um, you can manage work, um, workflows and the amount of work people do and do they really work at home and how much they're working. That control piece kind of, um, Uh, left, right, that that a lot of people like to keep their fingers on that button, went away with COVID, and it forced everyone to kind of think differently. So with that said, we all adjusted, and now as things are changing and we hear a lot of people are going back to work, for example, CDC. Um, They've already phased in a lot of their people, and they're going to be pretty much back in person soon. So as we all know, if CDC is doing it, Um, There might be a lot of corporations and a lot of uh, people based on who their leadership is and their leadership style might also follow that trend.
0: Yes.
2: And so that might not be something we can control always because everyone's got a different style. But let me tell you what I'm seeing in healthcare. Um, The expense of building uh, physical facilities, and adding to a a facility or growing is very expensive. As we all know, uh, you know, supply shortage or uh, supply, um, you getting things are taking longer, like steel and even roofing materials or concrete. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of challenges there and it's expensive. (laughs) So what I'm starting to see is people are also in our healthcare industry are being challenged to look at their current space and say, if you're not patient-facing and you're working at home now, what is keeping us from, you know, allowing you to stay home and now taking that space and using it for some service line? Mm -hmm. So even if your leadership style might, you know, make you uh, cringe or, you know, that's not the way you want to maybe manage your team Mm -hmm. is making you think about it. And, uh, you know, you always got the CFO at the table, you know, they're going to ask those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. So, there is some prime real estate that could be used for um, some kind of rehab or some kind of uh, you know a service line that could yeah. bring in revenue to yeah. the hospital versus having scheduling take up prime real estate or mm-hmm. or H I M or case management um, you know uh, so mm-hmm. part of uh, the role of I T has been doing that uh, support. And we've had to quickly learn how to do certain things, for example, allowing and taking uh, the whole scheduling department home. And we're at home, it's like they're answering the phone phone calls like they were in the office so that it's seamless for our patients, right? Mm -hmm. Um, With that said, we also, from an IT perspective, have to be careful and keep cybersecurity in mind. Mm -hmm. because these are all opportunities for intrusions or issues uh, for our environment. If, you know, we're not uh, making this um, transition carefully. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, certain images, you know, our IT technical teams put on these computers that go home with these resources, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's another trend that we're seeing is even though people can stay home, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, can stay home, some leaders are saying, well, no, we want you back in the office. We want to see each other and I want to have that different level of um, engagement with you and versus um, they're realizing, huh, Some of these teams are successfully working from home. Let's leave them there. And now let's see what else we can be offering our community. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
2: I think uh, one of the offboarding
1: um, that we've seen, you know, has been medical billing and HR. I guess that, that would be two, right? But um, we've definitely seen a lot of that movement to um, allow HR and medical billing to be off site. Um, and we're also seeing a lot of that being offboarded completely to vendors who really specialize in medical billing or really specialize in HR. Because you know, from a facilities and operations standpoint, it takes up so much time. And again, there's technology like HR systems and billing systems that you know, if the if the organization doesn't have to invest in that, and they can offload that to a vendor, um, you know, and and put more of the cost towards the actual doing of the thing rather than the process or the you know software technology behind the need to do the thing. Um, we're seeing some of that too, um, and I think with you know, with more and more of our students. So we have we're launching the master's degree in, in healthcare leadership, and we have a group of students for the first time coming to Cummings Graduate Institute without a master's degree. Or, you know, they some may be coming with a master's degree earned, but maybe looking to get a second one. And I think for them it's really a fresh start because many of them either have been in an industry where they now need to pivot significantly to this new post-COVID you know, primarily remote or especially from a technological system standpoint from a remote perspective, um, and also from a management and leadership perspective. So it's a a totally new set of skills. And I'm wondering, you know, with younger um, employees being digital, more digital natives, um, you know, than than Gen X, maybe, um, and certainly better from a digital native perspective for baby boomers. Um, you know, who are getting closer and closer to retirement, I'm wondering how, you know, how do you see that kind of changing the skill set that we're looking for in, in incoming employees and and management and leaders?
2: Kara, I think a fresh perspective is always good, right? Mm -hmm. So I think whether a pandemic hit us or not, um, having this type of a program and allowing the opportunity for this type of knowledge sharing that this program is offering is very critical to allowing that fresh perspective to occur Mm -hmm. so i think that's one of the major uh, opportunities this program is going to offer
1: thanks (laughs) Seppi. excuse me i said thank thank you for that thank you for that (laughs) i i you know sometimes like Gabe said, we're, we're kind of used to being at the leading or the bleeding edge, right? And so sometimes we forget that the rest of the industry isn't quite there yet, um, even though many or most of our students and, and faculty members are. And so it's good to hear that, you know, industry perspective is that that fresh perspective is going to be valued.
2: Absolutely, yes. And with the changes that the pandemic has um, uh, offered or brought to light, as mentioned, a lot of people started or looked at this as an early opportunity to retire mm-hmm. or change fields. Yeah. Um, there were quite a bit of people that decided, you know, healthcare isn't there, isn't what they want anymore, um, and that impacted from everywhere. So keep in mind. Um, To keep a hospital running, you know, from the registration, I'm I'm talking about people that can't go home right now. Mm -hmm. From a registration perspective, they are the first touch point of a a patient walking in, Mm -hmm. um, or the clerks or the unit secretaries, or um, the people that we needed the most, the EVS people mm-hmm. that helped keep all of our rooms clean from patient to patient. These people did not, um, you know, actually have an opportunity to say, I'm going to work from home. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them decided that this might, healthcare might not be the field. Right. So it, it opened up a lot of Uh, gaps inadvertently for our industry for our hospitals and um during obviously a a time that um, there was a need for them Mm -hmm. and trying to re-recruit and get those filled is not an overnight thing and it's been very challenging um to do that even though we have more knowledge you know throughout this couple of years we've all gained more knowledge about this um how to better um stay safe with with and how to keep ourselves safe and our employees and our patients but it is a challenge um and so back to what we bring from a leadership style and what we bring from um your program it's Mm -hmm. important i think because well we 're trying to build up our industry again, not only from fresh perspective but if we 're managing better and we 're building our teams better and we have we bring value to all the roles, whether they 're able to work remotely or have to be there in person, it all will eventually help us rebuild our um, our hospital system and our healthcare system better. Mm-hmm. And again, with your program or with this program that we're referring to, is, you know, there are people that might have decided due to health issues that they had to step away from being in the bricks and mortars of a hospital, but maybe they can share their knowledge or share their uh, perspective with these students. Mm -hmm. So that um, we can try to help set up the next uh, version of these leaders um, as successfully as we can. I know that's something you, you and Gabe have a lot of interest in and one of my passions as well. You know, we all want to share what we might have done better in our lives, right? Or in our careers. And if yeah. we can share some of that information and help a couple of students be successful, there's a lot of uh, joy in that. Mm-hmm. And then when they take it and build teams and build whatever they're building um in the delivery of our healthcare, that even, and sometimes we don't realize how that domino effect is, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of joy in that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, um, I don't even know how to put it in words, but the, the, the benefit of that personally for me is just um, unwavering. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we see a lot of the crowdsourcing, um, especially in the younger generation of healthcare professionals that that come out of our academic systems that it, even even just going through college today is different from our generation, the Xers, and even before that, you know, the baby boomers. Uh, obviously, I'm skipping some generations there, but um, you know, just going to college today. You know, we talk about the educational determinants of health, right? Is it you're able to go through programs a lot quicker? You have a lot more resources. You have a lot more coaches and mentors and libraries and, and things that, you know, I, I didn't have, you know, graduating college, 98, Florida State University, don't hold it against me. Uh, but so, you know, we, we see a new generation of students coming and graduating today, mm-hmm. on one side, uh, expecting the, the, the iPad world that they've grown into and then on the other side of the equation we have generational leaders in these institutions that are retiring left and right mm-hmm. and so they're going through the the process of figuring out you know who is going to replace that leader what is the transition plan or even worse you know people are just leaving because of massive resignation and so you're starting to peel away at a very kind of foundational level in the center of our healthcare organizations where people are just moving maybe, maybe like you said Seppi, maybe they, they they realize that this is not what they want to do with their life and so they retire early and so they leave. So what's the the, the projection here right so we, we're leaving huge gaps of, of good talented you know a lot of uh, scar tissue, uh, leaders that have been in these organizations now, i'm talking about healthcare networks right everything from a payer perspective to a vendor uh to a you know to a health system um so you know you we have like that dichotomy of those two different populations is like the new students coming in expecting everything to be gi- digitalized mm-hmm. expecting workflows to just work seamlessly and, and they have no patience for uh, you know, legacy programs or legacy technologies. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have these leaders uh, essentially leaving and leaving that gap. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. we're trying to do here is fill that gap in the middle, right? Yeah. Is, 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 is fill up that balloon with, yeah. with that passion and with the, the level of leadership skills. Uh, so in, in your point of view, Sepi, I mean, the last question that I was gonna ask you was around projects. Right. And, and our project's really dead from the waterfall approach of project management that you learned during your PMP. Um, is everything now just a program, a fail fast strategy? And how do we get leaders to really embrace the new ways of doing projects?
2: So your first point um, about how to bridge that gap. I, I'm one comment. It is the rest of us that are still around and, you know, in different phases of our careers. Um, I do believe it's our responsibility. um, And I say responsibility to bridge that gap, to continue to share that, acknowledging there's a gap and just sharing our insights of how to start reducing it because in a hospital, there are still very archaic systems online that are Windows 7, and there's still a need for it for some reason. You know, there are, when these um, new um, generational leaders and, and people come into, um, into their first jobs, um, they, a lot of them are shocked by finding some of what's in the environment. Yeah. To your point. So I feel like that is a responsibility of ours to keep bringing that gap up so that they're not surprised Mm -hmm. because their fresh perspective can maybe take us to the next level because there might be something we didn't think of. Right. So um, that's just how to make that comment. Now, to your question about project management and how projects are handled. I think there is no quick answer, and I think it's just going to be a variance. However, one thing that I'm learning is that project management had, you know, just like if you go for your PMP, um, it has all of these um, categories, and they all go in order in a very specific flow, right? Yeah. Now, due to um, a pandemic where we, you know, are in and um, hopefully be over at some point very soon, and also due to the fact that um, resources are short or not always available and the ones that are there are maybe actually touching patients and you can't pull them always to be on a project team, quote unquote, or uh, materials. Right? If you're doing a physical expansion or something, things are either on uh, back order or the, uh, you know, lead times or a year out before you get some, you know, doors. Sometimes doors take a year to arrive and you need them to maybe, you know, uh, initiate or establish um, this new area. So, Based on these different things, it has more than ever uh, made it very uh, evident that we have to ha- over-communicate. So we have to be talking to each other, not the old school meetings all the time. Um, you know, it, it requires us to be uh, flexible and figure out different ways to get input from our from the people that actually do the work so leaders traditionally a lot of times would be in a meeting and you invite people and get uh, their input i hope you do that and sometimes they didn't even do that in the past but more than ever you have to make sure that there's um genuine and in, um, impactful ways that you get feedback from the people doing the work and also you are getting people uh, sooner around uh, either the physical table or, uh, you know, that virtual time where you're getting input sooner because, you know, like I said, supplies, the supply chain issue causes you to have to make decisions sooner in the project line or the project plan timeline. And it's causing you to have to make some um, decisions and, and conversations sooner. So, that timeline is a lot of things are happening concurrently now and with that you have to uh, be flexible and understand where that is which means you have to work even more closely with people that might have not always been part of our healthcare team which is architects general contractors and even uh, the permitting people in your county or city. You know, you have to really be working collaboratively if you're trying to do something and um, to be providing a service to our community, right? So um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but um, this pandemic has really caused us to think about over communicating things and not being a single way in which we communicate it has to be a multiple different fashion so that we're getting through to the people that need to hear it communication has to be two ways for it to be successful and um and making sure that you know we're able to stand up uh, the service lines and things that we need quickly just like all these pop-up tents right to test for covid or vac, you know to actually um you know give the, the give the vaccine but all of that was an example of we weren't ready for all that. Yeah. Um so i think we're all realizing how much closer we need to all work together and it's not just uh, a specific role or a specific person it does take all of us for for healthcare it really does.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Kara, we sprinkled in this idea of effective communication, uh, trustworthy and trust building, um, logistics, right? Um, mm-hmm. Analytics, obviously, resource allocation and research management, uh, change management. Right. So, so, talk about from a, from a uh, when you conceptualize this program around the Masters of Healthcare Leadership. Mm -hmm. Right. What uh, there's obviously an altruistic way of looking at the world and saying we need to do something to prepare the next generation of leaders into our organizations. Right. But from from these different topics, how do you put those level pieces together in this program?
1: Uh, So for me, as as primarily a you know, I come from a behavioral health background and as a clinician working shoulder to shoulder with other providers, one of the issues that I see leading to the mass resignation is truly burnout, and the burnout comes from all of the things we've discussed today. Everything Seppi brought up, from you know entering the workforce to be shocked by you know uh, poor infrastructure from the technology standpoint or from the operational organizational standpoint, you know workflows that are inefficient, ineffective there's definitely a eat our young culture out there in healthcare, especially in the, in the field of nursing. Um, but really also for physicians who, you know, have been in really toxic training programs, environments that are very toxic, um, have picked up behaviors that they think lead to success because that's been ingrained in them. And then when they hit the workforce, people aren't willing to be treated poorly anymore. And so I really see this, you know, our program addressing this issue of are our healthcare environment psychologically safe, not just for patients, because that's really what the trauma-informed care, you know, push has been up until now, but from the perspective of are our healthcare environment psychologically safe for the providers? Because if it's not, we cannot expect to be delivering psychologically safe care to our patients, and so from the, the from our program's perspective, you know, looking across the the three world view that C.J. Peak talked about so eloquently when he wrote about, uh, you know, clinical, financial, and operational innovations in healthcare, in order to be able to deliver integrated care. Um, you know, well, um, I, I really see that issue being a, a primary focus of is this, is this process not just efficient from a financial and operational perspective, but does it also lead to psychological safety for the provider who's being asked to deliver it and for the patient who's on the receiving end? and i think what we hear now so often is and i can i can say this in my my own personal life as a healthcare consumer it's really hard to find a provider who will just listen to you and treat you like a human being anymore and at the same time you know as a clinician i got burned out during the pandemic i you know decreased or you know eliminated a lot of my service line um, because I just didn't have the, the psychological wherewithal, you know, to continue to deliver services. So I think we need a massive redesign in the healthcare system. And we don't currently have the leadership that we need to be able to make that altruism, like you mentioned, Gabe, and, you know, the operations and processes and the three C's that you mentioned, Sepi, you know, really the key <laughs> moving forward, because, So many times we use words like integration and the three C's and the five A's and integrated care in name only. And it actually doesn't mean anything. It is, it is words, smoke, you know, smoke and mirrors when it comes to the provider experience, when it comes to the patient experience. So I just don't see, you know, new employees coming into healthcare who are going to stay if what they are met with is smoke and mirrors, and, and no demonstrable commitment to making it a safe place to work and making it a safe place to deliver care to patients. So we have to in our in our programs, we have to deliver the skills to be able to do change management that is aimed at that, that level of safety across the board.
0: Yeah, it's so important to really focus also on the provider because a lot of times we say patient-centric, patient-centric, but that centricity comes from the provider being whole as well. So that's a really, really, really great point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seppi, um, I want to ask you one last question. I'm going to throw you a quarter ball because I, I didn't Uh-oh. put this in our in our list. But no, I just wanted to know because you, you went to HIMSS this year and obviously HIMSS has been a, a huge conference uh, down in Orlando year over year. And uh, for the past couple of years, um, obviously during the pandemic, they didn't have it, they had to cancel it. But was there anything that you learned kind of glaring that you were like, wow, an aha moment that you can share with the group around uh, what you learned at Hims?
2: Well, it's not so much something I learned, but it was very interesting to hear something. So just going off of what Kara just shared, there was um, one of those work groups that I um, attended, and we were being facilitated to discuss intraoperability. Okay. And after an hour of conversation, we all kind of ended saying, it will, our environment, our, our, I'm not sure if I want to say or in our country, or in the nation, or what, there will never be true interoperability because uh, when it comes to um, the different vendors and the different technical um, challenges, um, and after all, a lot of the a uh, lot of these uh, EMRs, it is a business. Um, it's opening that up to true interoperability for what is discussed and needed for patient care uh, will truly never happen. And I say that because of what was just discussed and where we as healthcare professionals or um, people uh, you know, in our industry, we need to reset that expectation and try to identify what is um, what truly can happen, what truly are the um, nuggets or opportunities that we can still make happen and in trying to get technology to support um, patient care or, or, or that interoperability that we're all trying to get to. Yeah. and I don't know um, you know, Personally, I had that thought, but hearing a whole table full of executives also say that, it was a little eye-opening because I was like, wow, you know, this is what we've been all aiming for, um, spending our time for, you know, for for years now. And um, so resetting that expectation and trying to figure out how and what we really can do and do it maybe better. You know, a lot of us have been part of deployments, and one thing that I almost dare say does not happen often is going back and enhancing those deployments, right? So we roll out whatever EMR with whatever configuration, and doctors... Uh, Care just said, you know, doctors sometimes don't spend time with you, not because they don't want to. They went into healthcare to be with their patients, but they have to document or they have to do so many steps in, in trying to do something. We do not often go back and reevaluate the appointments of EMRs, for example, to enhance it, improve it based on now that they've used it, they have more knowledge and they can give us better input on how to improve it. Yeah, you know we're all we're always trying to go million miles um, forward, and you know million miles an hour. But sometimes reevaluating things and making it enhancing it um, is just as valuable. And yeah. I think that's sometimes lost in everything that has to be done um, on that project portfolio.
0: Yeah, now that's that's really great to talk, to think about it as a as a portfolio uh, management, um, just because, you know, things like interoperability, I, I like to think that we, we could have solved this already, but you're right. The the plethora of vendors and and where the history of this country kind of comes from, Mm -hmm. I'm optimistically, uh, cautiously optimistic that, uh, interoperability will be solved by the patient and more specifically by our cell phones, Uh, because this is the true interoperability. We got to move from the uh, interoperability of fax machines to the interoperability of patient-centered data sets where your phone is with you 100% of the time and you walk into a hospital, phone picks up the signal that you're in the Wi-Fi with the hospital and directs you um, through critical path. Mm-hmm. Um, of understanding how to best engage that, that patient because all that information is there. Obviously, the security implications and stuff like that. But that's, that's the world that I like to reimagine uh, one time. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to the Jetsons here uh, in our lifetime.
1: Yeah. You know, and I want to add really quick here that uh, one of the conversations we've had at the state level here in Arizona around maternal mental health is that there's no state standard and really no national standard for what, is, what data is being collected as Mm -hmm. it relates to specific health conditions and so when we're looking at population health management who's who's communicating what the standards of you know data points are that need to be collected so that they can be shared and if every provider kind of gets to choose
0: um,
2: that's a problem that that, you know that it's the same it's the same thing at public health you know um, where we're supposed to be collecting data at a public health level, right, so that we can capture pandemics and, you know, right. um, if there's a breakout or et cetera. Um, yes, there is no standards um, that that can of manage that. And it's just um, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to, to get those decisions made at that level.
1: And it really kind of reminds me just how disease focused our health system is. It's not a wellness, you know, again, if we're, if we're looking to be able to prevent another pandemic, we can't do that because our system is set up just to monitor chronic disease. It's, it's not really set up to look at prevention.
0: Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, ladies. um, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, It's been a wonderful conversation. Uh, Stay tuned for additional podcasts that are coming down the pipe. Uh, thank you, Kara, for for your time. Thank you, Seppi, uh, tremendously for for giving us your experience and your awesomeness. Um, and we'll be in touch uh, next time. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Seppi. Bye. Bye.